Really easy to be a prude when you're not attracted to him, isn't it? And welcome to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, as always, Dr. Alex Swan. And today's film, today's episode, is going to be, I think, a really, a really fun conversation for two reasons. One, the movie that we're doing is a satirical look at uh, a very heavy subject. And it's got it's got some good messages in it, um, and I think we're going to have a how let's call it a really productive conversation by getting to use a fictional film. I um, my guest hosts are are amazing on this front. Anyways, the film is called "But I'm a Cheerleader." Now you may not be familiar with that film, a uh, very indie film a lot of big names i gotta say a lot of big names sort of a sleeper hit i would say or maybe maybe not i guess maybe i can't call it a hit but definitely a sleeper indie picture but a lot of names that you would recognize as i rattle them off so coming off of the high of american pie this film stars a young Natasha Leone, Leone, I'm not entirely sure how um, her last name is pronounced, but it was directed, so she's the star of the movie, she's the cheerleader in the title, The um, that's that's who she is. The, the movie was directed by Jamie Babbitt and written by Brian Peterson and Jamie Babbitt as well. Other names uh, connected to the film, acting-wise... Uh, Clea Duvall is the other main character-ish, a sort of secondary character, but love interest of the movie. Uh, Michelle Williams in a very small role, but I guess around the time that she was doing Dawson's Creek, so I guess people might have kn- known her. Uh, Bud Court in it as a uh, member at the, uh, essentially the anti- gay camp that we'll go into RuPaul uh, as RuPaul Charles credited as RuPaul Charles was in this movie with a goatee I might add Um, and then uh, Melanie Linsky she's been in a lot of stuff but my favorite my favorite my favorite my favorite is the sort of villain of the story uh, the leader of this anti-gay camp um, played by Kathy Moriarty. And essentially, Kathy Moriarty was my introduction to uh, the characterization of evil women. Because she is the, I guess we'll say, the main antagonist in Casper, the friendly ghost, that movie that had a uh, a 3D Casper um, he becomes a real boy. She's the antagonist in in that movie, and um, whew, 
it was it was it was it was good to see her again in that role because her raspy voice really plays that really plays that really well. Um, uh, uh, just one other thing. Um, <clears throat> Rufio is in it as well. Yeah. People of a certain age will get that reference. <laughs> so we got a lot of talked about in this episode. So I am going to kick it to the guests. My guest hosts today are doctors Molly Metz and Will Ryan. Both have been on the show once before, and I thought they'd be fun to have on together, mainly because they are my besties. And they are married, so they do live together. It's just double mint gum kind of episode. Welcome back to the show, you two. Thank you, Alex. It's nice to be back. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Uh, of course, of course, a horse, of course. I am happy to have you uh, both back on the show. So both of you, and since you've been on the show at different times, uh, Molly, it's been like almost two years, I think, or maybe even more than two. And then I, I believe, Will, your episode was last year. But I could be wrong about that because time really does move very fast and slow at this moment. So I don't know. Time is meaningless. What is happening? Exactly. So uh, we both learned, uh, so we all learned, I should say, that um, when you were on your first, uh, when you were on your first show, that you're both teaching stream professors at the University of Toronto in the big old city there. And so what I'd like you to do for the listeners is to just quickly remind us what sort of research and, and teaching you do at U of T. Yeah, so I am in my, let's see, finishing up my fifth year at U of T. Um, I'm a social psychologist by training, but in my role as a teaching stream prof, that means I mostly focus on undergrad education. And so I'm lucky and get to teach the ginormous statistics and research methods courses there. Um, and just because of the way scheduling has worked over the last few years, I have had 85% of our program has gone through my classes because I've been tackling most of the stats courses. So they awesome. all know me. That's um, good. I like luckily, that. <laughs> Luckily, I also teach upper level relationships and emotion classes that they um, usually are way more intrinsically motivated to be in. So it's a nice change of pace from the stats anxiety. Um, in addition to the courses, I also do research on um, motivation and learning and um, whatever stuff my students are interested in researching as well. Yeah, because right now you have um, uh, a student or two, I think, that are doing something that's different in your research wheelhouse. Yeah, so I have three independent project students right now, one of whom is helping me with some um, self-determination theory approach to teaching and need supportive teaching behavior. So if that's the stuff that I am already interested in. Um, but then with another student, we ran a study looking at how um, the how autism shapes perceptions of uh, like stimuli as potential job candidates and mm -hmm. so perceptions of traits and higher ability. Mm -hmm. And then my other student and I are doing a qualitative look into um, something called gender vagueness, which is the intersection of autistic and trans or queer gender identity. Wow. So okay. It's been 
Yeah, so I don't learning think... lots of things and learning lots of new methods. Yeah, too. I don't think I knew the the last part of that. I think I just was seeing the 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 qual questions as they are on uh, the social media. That's really cool. Uh, gender it's vagueness. Cool. It's, I'm gonna add that to my compendium here. Will. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm yeah also a teaching professor, also trained in social psychology. We don't we that's where we met was an undergrad. So we I mean not undergrad. Wow, it's all running together. <laughs> exactly. <clearly>. Uh, <laughs> woo. Uh, we haven't known each other quite that long, but in grad school at UCSB, where we also know Alex from, so we, Molly and I were social psychologists uh, there, and mm-hmm. so I teach. Uh, after she's whipped them into shape and stats and methods, I get them in the upper level uh, fun courses. I get to teach health psychology, positive psychology, um, attitudes, and organizational behavior. Uh, so all of those kind of have different intersections focusing on well-being, mm-hmm. uh, how, uh, diversity, attitudes, um, what Motivation. else? Yeah, and how that intersects with the body yeah. too. So I get to talk about mindfulness in every class, basically. <laughs> it relates to every topic. I am excited. Um th- I'm teaching health psychology again next year. It's been I guess three. My rotation got a little m- messed up because of the pandemic. But yeah, it was uh, the last time I taught it was that that semester that that fateful semester where we all had to go home back in 2020. Um, so it's been a while. I mean, it was a really good time to teach health psychology, I suppose. Uh, but I'm excited to do it again. Um, so, yes, love it. I love having you guys on. I love seeing you, too. Your faces. I miss your faces. Uh, oh, so good. I get to see Molly next. Not next month. The month after in Chicago. It's great. OK, well, don't I'm, forget I'm about so- our special. Oh, yes. Guests. Our special guest. That's right. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Before we shift to the movie discussion we do have a special guest uh this is dr gordon gale he's a professor of positive psychology among other things as well but he uh comes with me to all the courses and yes he is probably the best and i guess he didn't say yeah and i guess uh he didn't get a chance to say that with me he also uh helps with our research as well and so there uh, my focus is on um well, I guess a number of things, but mostly taking a self-determination theory approach to a number of questions from education-related uh, things to uh, social support, especially around stigmatized identities and relevant to what we're talking about today, LGBTQ stigmatized identities. And so that's that's part of one of Gordy's expertises, too. Yes, his expertise is much, much appreciated and much needed. Well, and so to be clear for the listening audience at home, Dr. Gordy is a little uh, <laughs> 16-pound-ish Oh, chihuahua. the pandemic was hard on him. It was hard on all of us. Uh, uh, chihuahua, dachshund, something mix, and he's the best little TA. That oh, my goodness. TA. He is. He is. And he has the best, I think, actually, I do actually think it's the, my favorite, uh, don't tell Astrid, uh, Instagram account. What is that Instagram account? <laughs> Find him at Dog Tour Gordy. D O G T O R G O R D I. Oh, it's it is very very it. much worth it. Okay, so <laughs> let us pivot now to the movie discussion, which is why you both are here. Um, 
I called, but I'm a cheerleader and indie sleeper in the intro because I wrote it here. I don't know if um, I don't even know if it even rises to that level. I'm looking at. I don't know what that means. It, it's like a, so it's independent film and it was that. a sleepers generally are hits, though. Right. So it, it's something that kind of goes under the radar. I mean, does it have to be? Does it have to be a wide hit, though? Right, because it's definitely a cult classic. Would you consider? Yeah, so that that was my sort of question to myself in the intro. Would you consider it a cult classic? Absolutely. It's a specific. Okay. I would call it specifically a lesbian cult classic. Okay, that's probably why it never come came across my radar, and that makes a lot of sense, right? And it really is an interesting. Um, I guess flip for Natasha Lyonne um, to go from American Pie to this movie because essentially I think that American Pie came out in 1998 and this was 99. So she just like went whoop and flipped that one. So uh, <laughs> literally. Um, so I wanted to give uh, both of you um, sort of the moment to give your thoughts on the film in general um sort of where where you're coming from with this film because will was the one who suggested it and i had never seen it so it was um I, i'll just briefly say that i enjoyed the film very much so i want to go ahead and let you both have the floor all right so yeah so as alex said i i picked this i was when i was picking a film i was kind of racking my brain i think of one that uh, you know, it would be good for us to talk about, would have some uh, sort of meat to it for us to discuss, but also one that was uh, you know, personally meaningful. And so, uh, you know, we had been joking that this hadn't come across your radar because in part it is a, it is specifically a lesbian cult classic and sort of like uh, the main character that we'll talk about more coming up, uh, who doesn't really, uh, takes other people to help notice that uh, she has a different identity and one of the when other people noticed that I might be different, this was a movie that they suggested that I watch when I got to oh. college and people uh, in my hallway were like, oh, you know, you look like you mm -hmm. should watch this movie. Uh, and so I watched this movie and it was part of the uh, second time that I mm -hmm. came out. And so that was a uh, part of that uh, process. Excellent. So I think that you should maybe expand a little on what you mean by coming out coming out okay so yeah so this is i guess this is kind of like our positionality statement here i guess so i am coming to this as a trans man now but at the time that i first came into this movie was coming out as a mm -hmm. as a lesbian and so uh you know, that's not the necessarily the path that everybody takes but i went uh through a few different times of coming out first as bi then as lesbian and then as trans and so that's where i uh, mm -hmm. landed now my mom likes to joke about, you know, when am I going to come out as something else? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <clears throat> Excellent, so. Will. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, and so I had not watched this movie until Will shared it with me as a meaningful part of, you know, his college experience and identity mm -hmm. development. And I absolutely love it. I, I mean, first of all, it's, bubblegum satire i don't know if you read much about the film um about like the director talking about it but the aesthetic she was going for was a mix of barbie's dream house and edward scissorhands i can see that 
is how she describes mm-hmm. the look, right? Which I think is just absolutely perfect. So I love the, I really like those like bold, weird mm-hmm. visuals. Um, and the cast is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, but one thing that Will didn't mention is that we both also come from a gender studies right. background. So um, we're both social psychologists. I was a women's studies minor in college. Um, Will went to Smith College, which is a um, women's school and did, uh, what did they call it there? Was it gender and sexuality studies or something to that effect? Swag, study of women <laughs> they, and gender. That, there we go. that nice recursive <laughs> acronym there. Yeah. So, um, you know, Will has the the personal attachment, but we both have um, intellectual and academic right. interests in the important topics in this movie as well. Well, I, I appreciate you both um, as stating your p- positionality on that. Um, my positionality is of someone I would consider myself an ally um, to the queer community and a lover of satire in all of its forms. <laughs> So that's my positionality for this film. And I always love a um, film that knows what its message is and does so effectively. Uh, Because there's a lot of, granted, there's a lot of films out there. We'll call them movies in this case. Film versus movies. Where it's just like you can be mindless (laughs) on it and it's fine. There's no, there's... There's no issues. It's just somebody's idea of comic book art. Uh, You probably know which movies I'm talking about there. But films that do this and have a message and do that message effectively, even if it's only at the, you know, large end of 80 minutes long, I think that's really good, right? (laughs) Well, in addition to having some really smart, thoughtful things to say and a clear message, it is just also fun. And it's just enjoyable, right? It makes you feel good. Um, So, you know, the main character, Megan, who we'll talk more about, she's a cheerleader and she loves being a cheerleader. And she says, you know, it's not supposed to be intellectual. It's just supposed to make you feel good. And I think that this movie overall has a little bit of that Yeah, that's very true. And uh, before we jump into like some of the more nuanced stuff that have like specific scenes or even specific moments. I think the overarching um, idea about this uh, film is its commentary on a really tough topic, really a really heavy topic, and that is conversion therapy. Did you want to say something about conversion therapy for the listeners? Yeah, just that, um, I mean, I'll go first and then Molly can give us a little bit more of Mm -hmm. the history about that. But just that right so this this film is very light in its portrayal of a very heavy thing and that it was intentional right uh, by the director was to show a fun uh flourishing story of our community but also uh cover a difficult topic and so just we want to note that if if this is something that hits close to home because it does for many people this is something that's still very much alive even though this you know this film was Ah, uh, 23 years yeah. old now. Um, this this issue is not old. It's uh, very much currently in the news and uh, so it's still affecting people's lives. And so if you're not ready to laugh along with us at this uh, portrayal of it, not at the concept in general, but then maybe this isn't the episode for you. But Yeah, well said. Well said, Will. And so because it's satire, I think it allows us to talk about some really dark things that we might not be able to do. Um, 
and we in in the overall portrayal of conversion camp or like a reparative therapy right. camp overall, but also some of the particular character quirks like the the le, the lesbian who's into pain, you know, for example, um, that it the satire allows us to talk about some of the really scary pieces right. of it, um, but it is still very real, and so like. Just to be clear, we did a little bit of research. So this is as of yes, I love that kind of research um, before recording. So March thirtieth, twenty twenty-two, conversion therapy is still legal in the Mm -hmm. UK. A few years ago, they came very close to ending conversion therapy, um, but ended up not passing it, and it was really controversial. There was this big like gender affairs committee that people resigned over it. Um, there were major debates and about it. Um, people were acknowledging that religious exemptions to a conversion therapy ban would be reasonable as recently as last year. Um, and actually just today, some document leaked from the UK government saying that they were still not going to ban conversion therapy. And then the internet exploded and they had to backtrack. But so like, this is still a very contentious thing. Um, In Australia, it's state by state, but it's still legal in many states in Australia. It's state by state in the US. So it's banned in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, and Delaware, um, a handful of other states, as well as DC. I believe Illinois is on that Um, list as well. Illinois. I, I'm awesome. pretty sure it's 21 um, yeah. states total. I'm pretty sure Illinois is on that list. Um, just because we've been doing, we're a, a blue oasis, really, right now. Lucky jerk. <laughs> um, Canada just banned it in December of 2021. Mm-hmm. New Zealand just banned it last month. And out of the rest of the world, as mm-hmm. far as we can find, Brazil, Ecuador, Germany, EU, and Malta. So the vast majority of countries, it's still legal. And just to be clear, like in the UK, they're saying they might uh, now pass it, but that would only be for orientation and not for gender identity. And so that's also uh, in some places still on the table, even if other bans are in place, if they're only for sexual orientation, they may not apply. Right. That's uh, critical to note because you could see a camp, you could, you could see these camps um working yeah. under the guise of one because they can't do the other um but so still operating yeah and it was only very recently that you know medical professionals themselves stopped doing that um having these kind of reorientation for gender types of trainings and treatments well mm-hmm. and again to be clear they're not all done no. there are still very prominent therapists and sex researchers who still promote um, reorientating, as one of the characters says in the movie, reorientating therapy. Yes, reorientate. Yeah, exactly. I, I I chuckled at that one. True um, directions. Exactly. So all that to say, it's a really funny movie, and we're gonna laugh a lot yes, about it. I, as but I like, just did. It's about a very serious thing, and I don't want to undermine that. Megan, we love you. We all love you, mm-hmm. and lately we've become concerned about certain behaviors we're afraid you're being influenced by a way of thinking uh an unnatural do you remember the woman on tv honey we think you're a lesbian i myself was once a gay 
Now I'm an ex-gay, Megan. I, I work for a place called True Directions who help people like yourself learn to understand the reasons behind homosexual tendencies and, and how to heal them. What tendencies? Why would you think I'm a... You've been trying to make us eat this tofu. In diet, watch for a switch to vegetarianism. You don't have any pictures of guys in your locker, just these. Mm-hmm. These. Sexual, even vaginal motifs in artwork and decorating. Gay iconography. You don't even like to kiss me. It's, it's true. true. Denial is a normal part of the healing process that we'll explore at True Directions. Healing? Like rehab, honey. Uh, Homosexuals Anonymous. Poodle, it's only for a few months. There is no way I'm going. Okay, so let's jump to talking about the various aspects of the film. We can get a little deeper into some of the uh, themes and topics that we just mentioned. But before we do, I want to give a brief synopsis of the movie. So Megan, played by Natasha Lyonne, is the main character, and she is a cheerleader at a high school, has a boyfriend, and in the first five minutes of the movie, the setup of the uh, main identity issue in the whole movie uh, and the evidence for her going to this cap camp happen in like that first five minutes. So uh, shows her um, kissing her boyfriend, um, having uh, pictures of women in her locker and um, really awkward uh, family prey time. Grace uh, is what it was. And then for the rest of the movie, she's at this camp um, that is supposedly a program to re-straightify people through five steps, a five-step program, a nod to the Alcohol Anonymous 12-step program. Um, she goes through that program, meets another woman who is also a camp member, and uh, they fall in love and have a, I guess, a uh, sexual encounter in the camp and happy ending. They both leave the camp and leave lead their lives as uh, a couple. Is that a pretty good synopsis? I think that hits <laughs> the major points. I left a lot out. So I left a lot out and was purposefully vague so we could jump into the, the more graceful ways of saying these things in, in context. So Megan, she's a cheerleader. Why did they give why did they give this character a role of a cheerleader is my first question. Yeah. So, I mean, I happen to know that the director wanted to have a femme portrayed lesbian. That's often not the case in 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 films. There's not that many films about right. lesbians, especially then. But the, but in many of the ones there were, they may have started out femme, but then by the end, give that up cut their hair, like kind of ride off into the sunset on the motorcycle, which not that there's anything wrong right. with that, uh, but that that doesn't have to be the journey that she could be both a cheerleader and feminine, but also be a lesbian. And uh, so that was part of the goal in having her 
be that. And you're right. And even when uh, lesbians are are portrayed in uh, films that are not ostensibly about sexual orientation, they're just stereotypically portrayed uh, in most film as as uh, a bush lesbian, right? Yeah. So that's really cool. I didn't uh, I didn't know that. So, Molly, let's talk about your ideas on gender and sexuality in this movie, and then we'll all get your take on this. So there is so much to say about this, but I think the the organizing principle of this movie is a total conflation of gender and social roles and sexual orientation. Um, and to be fair, that that is how a lot of people think about them, yeah. right? That the lesbians are more masculine are butch because there still has to be a masculine and a feminine person in each relationship. Um, and that if a man is effeminate, then that must mean he's attracted to men, right? So like people do conflate these things all the time, but we know that they don't have to go together. And so this really was an intentional choice, I think, of the director to be able to lampoon these misunderstandings and uh, misconceptions about how gender and gender identity and social roles and sexual orientation are not the same thing. Um, so we see this in a lot of ways throughout the film. Um, I think one of the clearest ways is in the color scheme. Yeah. So once they're at True Directions, right, this camp, it's this old Victorian in the middle of nowhere in the middle of like a brown dying field um, and everything is super vivid and the girls, right? So these are all teenagers. Their girls are put in all pink and skirts yeah. and their bedroom looks like something out of Barbie's dream house. It's all pink and sparkly and the boys are put in all blue and they wear ties. Um, and so like from the costumes that they're in for almost the entire film, they are just so totally polarized in pink is for girls and blue is for boys. Um, we also see this in, you know, some of the, or the ways that they talk about how they're supposed to be. Everything is about learning your role. And so all of the camp activities are in learning the role, the role of a woman in housework or having a child or the role of the men in fixing cars and chopping wood. It's all about the roles. Backwards and forwards and back in a very clean line. Girls, is everybody paying attention? Go in and out, in and out. And in and out, get into every little crevice. And in and out. And you slip it in and out. And you add a little more oil and shove it in. Take it out. Put some muscle into it. Shove it in and out. And shove it in. Take it out. Uh, okay. Who wants to go down with me? <laughs> You're turning into a pretty young lady. Now hold still. <laughs> Come on! Die, die, die! 
and her parents um, are typically that's what their dialogue centers around her role. Yeah. Yes, from the beginning. Right. Um, um, in the very awkward Grace scene that scene <laughs> just goes on and on, and we all have the same sort of react, same sort of reaction as Megan does in that, and it's like, what is going on with my dad right now? What are you even saying? Uh, Will, what yeah. is your take? I mean, similar, right? So that they're really setting up this conflation of the of these gender roles and sexual orientation and playing with that and poking fun at that and poking fun at that in the context of the of the attempt to convert them, but also just poking fun at those roles in mm -hmm. general. And that kind of allows them to do that too. Uh, and so I think that that's a fun thing about it as well. Yeah. And the roles we'll we'll say, we'll say here the roles and the characters sort of, kind of get molded into um, lampoons, right? So each character sort of plays a almost one-dimensional character on purpose. So who are who are these characters that Megan meets at this camp? Well, so we've already talked mm -hmm. about Megan, who is the pretty, blonde, innocent, naive Christian cheerleader. All of these things are very important to her identity. Um, her heartthrob is Graham. And I cannot think everyone's of heartthrob. Everyone's Duval, heartthrob yeah, I would, is yep. Graham. Um, who is um a little bit alternative, has a short, spunky haircut, and smokes cigarettes, and um is kind of an androgynous dream to all of the girls at the camp. Um and Let's see, we have Sinead, who is gay because she's from France. That is a line that she mm -hmm. has. Um, and she's the like also kind of alternative dark eyeliner, black fishnet um, into pain. Right. That's like her character trait is she's really right. into pain. And then we have the woman from New Zealand, the, the mm -hmm. young woman from New Zealand, and she portrays more of the goody two shoes one who really wants this to work uh she's kind of the leader she she helps megan get settled there and then the last of the the female characters who i think is one of the most interesting um is jan so jan is the super butch um softball player and has short buzzed mm -hmm. hair and has a little bit of a stash growing in and is just the super masculine right. and butch one. And I think that Jan is really important, first of all, because, um, you know, spoiler. Well, she has <laughs> about halfway through the movie, <laughs> yeah. maybe a little bit more. She's like, but I'm heterosexual right. and no one believes her. And she's like, no, I really like balls. Mm -hmm. I like boys. Come on, just throughout the first thing that comes to your head, okay? Just, just, just think. I already did. Mine is just as good as anybody else's. I'm a heterosexual. Uh, not yet, honey. You're almost there. And don't speak out of turn. No, I know. I've never been gay. Huh? <sighs> Jan, remember, uh, you were molested. I <laughs> mean, just take a look at yourself. I mean, everybody thinks I'm this big dyke because 
because I wear baggy pants, I play softball, and I'm not as pretty as other girls, but it doesn't make me gay. I mean, I like guys. I can't help it. I just want a big fat wiener of my... Amen, sister. I quit. Who in the hell is she trying to fool? Hey, Jan! Jan! And she says, you know, just because I, you know, play softball and wear baggy clothes and I'm not as pretty, that doesn't mean that I like girls. And so this is this real struggle mm -hmm. for her, is that everyone told her that she's a lesbian. She's, she's just not. Um, and I think what's interesting about that is, again, that's just a, a really good snapshot of gender is not sexuality. Right. And she is just that in a, in a capsule. But I think it's also notable that this exists in a world it seems to exist in a world without trans folk yeah right that, okay that's a good point i mean it makes a little bit of sense for 1989 sure. again given the context of queer representation in film at the time but you know in if if jan were a character now we would might be talking about jan as being non-binary right. or butch or trans and still interested in boys mm -hmm. that like gender identity and gender role and sexual orientation are all different um and this movie really distills it down to very clear like sexual orientation and social role of gender right. um and doesn't play around with any of the the peripheries that's a really good point because um rupaul is in the movie and you're like you see the name rupaul charles comes up come up on the screen and you're like <laughs> oh somebody's gonna be uh, you know there's going to be a drag character in this movie but it's it's like you turn that completely on its head to your point about representation in 1999 really delineated um we're really only talking about sexual orientation right now as as sort of the the, the, the thing different from the norm um but RuPaul doesn't play a drag character. RuPaul plays really himself at a at a moment when he's not in drag. Well, and he plays an ex-gay, right? So he's a staffer. He said the program works for me, and now I'm gonna help the program work for you too. Except that we watch him throughout the entire movie and can tell that it has obviously not not worked for him as he lusts over rock the son of the woman who runs the right. camp. I love Eddie Cipriani. And so it's just, you can tell that it hasn't worked. It obviously hasn't worked. And yet he's also clad in all blue and wearing a shirt when he first enters that says straight is great. Right. <laughs> and I wanted to make a note about the clothes being blue and, and Molly did a great job of describing them. Um, but I just want to add that the shorts that they chose for the um, men, the boys, um, are just really short. And I think for 1999, we're just too short for the conception <laughs> of masculinity at that time. Uh, so it obviously yeah, plays into um, uh, Mary Brown, the, the runner of this camp, not having a damn clue that her son is gay and how he rocks those damn short shorts. Of course. 
Of course Mike is going <laughs> to just constantly watch that. I would. So RuPaul is not a drag queen in this film, but still fabulous. Yes, with a goatee. First time I've ever seen goatee. I, I That was what surprised me the most, seeing RuPaul there. Like, I'm not surprised. He's on... Um, on this, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race, um, not in drag all the time. Uh, so obviously not shocked to see that. But the goatee. Because I don't think what <laughs> I, I can't even think about what RuPaul was in in the 90s. RuPaul played like characters in a lot of things. I, I mean, I think like it became a known figure when we were still too was young. It, to it, has it been this. that long? But like, I remember RuPaul being a guest character on like the Sabrina, the teenage witch show. Right. With Melissa okay. Joan Hart. Um, and played so a already famous that, like, because that's a, like stunt judge, casting. Right. Already famous, yeah. already a name draw in the mid. Wow. I didn't realize it was, has been that long, but okay. All right. Time. Okay. <laughs> and so we did all the girls and their stereotypes and so I know it's mostly focused on lesbians and it is a lesbian cult classic, but there are young men who are sent to this camp too. So we've got uh, Joel, who is, uh, he introduces, so they all have to introduce themselves when they first get there and they say, my name is, he says, Joel, uh, and I'm a homosexual <laughs> and a Jew. So he's, he's, uh, he plays that stereotype. We have Dolph, who is uh, uh, varsity wrestler, yeah. homosexual varsity wrestler, <laughs> Dolph. Uh, then we have on, yep, yep, and then we have Andre, who is the he's the stereotypical flamboyant. Uh, he's uh, he introduces himself as actor, dancer, homosexual, uh, and so. At the, and then we have lastly Clayton, who spends most of the movie in solitary confinement for hooking up with Dolph, but he's in re, he's in retail and he he's. Uh, the white tall blonde one yes played by kip purdue now i'm seeing now he's been in a ton of stuff he's got he's got that face runaways most recently <laughs> um anyways i have thoughts about solitary confinement um do you mind if i do you mind if we take a digression into something that i've been talking about recently on the podcast which is ethics what yeah the f don't swear on the show. Um, that. <laughs> I know it was a gag. It was a joke. But I was like, wait. He goes to a literal doghouse. For like multiple weeks. And they forget about him. Because mm -hmm. I don't. Th I think he ends up spending time in there longer than he was supposed to. But oh my God. He's tall. Too tall for that house. Well, and so again, like to to reiterate, right, he's sent to the confinement because he was caught hooking up with Dolph, but Dolph is right. totally kicked out of the camp um, yes. altogether. I mean, that seems like a pretty good outcome, in my opinion. Sure. Um, I think Dolph lucked out and, and found the... the um, XX gaze. XX gaze that lived down the street um, yeah. and take in um, the XX campers yeah. gay campers or um, maybe i guess they haven't renounced their sexuality yet so ex campers <laughs> but like that's one of the things that you know we were alluding to at the beginning that the 
actual things that go on in these like reparative therapy camps are atrocious. Right. And solitary confinement, which is cruel and unusual punishment and an extreme form of imprisonment in most contexts, is an actual, you know, behavior modification tool. Right. Um, another thing that comes up pretty early on is aversion therapy, mm-hmm. where they um, associate anything that is desirable with electric shock. Now, right. the joke is that it's the girl who is into pain who is like using this buzzer to masturbate. So like that's, you can laugh at it a little bit because otherwise how on earth could you laugh at that? Right. And aversion therapy is a part of reparative therapy in a lot of cases. Um, Exactly. And so these are ways that these really horrific things that are based in reality are kind of poked fun at in this world. Yes. Um, I, I, I think, um, saying, talking about, I forgot the name already, Clayton having to go to the doghouse is actually an important point to make because, you know, that is, that seemed in the context of the satire to be the most ridiculous thing and ridiculous to the point of absurdity right because they're like oh get the mary has to go and get him out of there and at frantic and all of that stuff um you're going to be in the graduation with um graham or something like that uh <clears throat> but really everything else is far far worse cumulatively right cuz it's just one day after the other of doing this uh program with all of these terrible things and it just kind of adds up but the farce is the the doghouse the literal doghouse literal doghouse we are going to continue this conversation after a quick break with doctors molly metz and will ryan stay tuned for more of that howdy thanks for listening to this episode we hope you're enjoying the conversation Over the past two years, the podcast has grown, and that's mostly in part to folks like you, the listeners. We've also had wonderful luck receiving support from the Society for the Teaching of Psychology, APA Division II Small Partnerships Grant. It's been a fun ride, and we want to keep it going. So we need your help. There are several ways that you can support this show. You can share episodes with your social media networks so we can grab new listeners. You can join our fledgling Patreon program. You can contribute directly using PayPal. Or you can purchase some sweet merchandise with our logo at our Spreadshirt merch store. All of those things can be found on the website cinemasychpod.swanpsych.com. But perhaps the best thing that you can do is to keep listening and leave us feedback on Facebook or Twitter so we know you've listened. Thanks. And now back to the show. And we are back talking, but I'm a cheerleader with Drs. Molly Metz and Will Ryan. So... We were discussing, you two, the characters in the film, but we haven't really spoken 
uh, that deeply about the main character, Megan. So we first we we mentioned her characterization sort of broadly um, at the top by saying that she is represented as a more feminine lesbian in the movie and that it was important within the context of film history and um, portrayal. But there is another characterization that's pretty central to her character's identity, and that is Christianity. So, Will, what, what, why is it important that she was a uh, a devout or faithful Christian in the movie? I mean, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, it it uh, relates to the fact that a lot of this reparative and uh, therapy happens in the context of religion, often Christianity. Uh, I certainly remember resonating a bit with her character when I first watched this movie, because not that my parents were particularly conservative themselves, but I was around a lot of other people who espoused those kind of beliefs. I hung out in evangelical churches and youth groups, uh, had a pretty similar cross necklace that I was wearing not long before I came out the first time and things like uh, not that you can't do both, but that uh, often, depending on which kind of circle you're in, those can really be antithetical and so that's part of what she's coming into conflict with is uh you kind of were touching on that when you were noting how her father prays before dinner that these are sacred roles they're not just roles but to them they're really sacred roles that they need to take on and that is really important that she's it's not just that she's rebelling against social roles but to them that they're also religious roles um and again they play it light and and uh, quick but it is a, a bigger thing and even she writes a cheer at one point uh that's uh one two oh, five, six. five six seven eight god is good god is straight right and she's really like you it's hilarious but she's reconciling with like how can i you know be this thing that god didn't make god is straight we're made in god's image right uh and so but even even this christian cheerleader right is still vulnerable to uh gayness and to to this uh, thing and they still have to protect her and also just again resonated with the fact that everybody else knew before her right they have an intervention that they host they, for yeah, her because they can tell there's all these external cues right it's often the narrative in in stories about lgbtq people is that you know they come out or they know when they have a romantic experience with someone else but her behavior makes her readable so she has a melissa etheridge poster hung up in her room right everything else is super girly but she's got that she's a vegetarian she likes tofu uh so they show her a bag of tofu to show as a sign right so <laughs> she's got these different things and so even even as a femme right she can still be found out uh as this thing but that she doesn't even know they have to confront her about that for her to sort of put it together so when you're around all these other people where it's so repressed and no one's talking about it, right? she thinks she, she, she knows she has thoughts about women, but she doesn't think that that's weird or not normal or a problem. She just thinks her boyfriend sucks at kissing. Uh, I remember thinking that too, uh, <laughs> but right. No, maybe you're just not that into him. And so she has to go through this uh, reconciling that. And I'll be, I'll be, um, I suppose it's, tell the the audience that I didn't actually see where that was going right away. I knew that that it was eventually going to be that she was um, going to be at this conversion camp for being a lesbian. But I actually didn't see the kissing as like, I'm like, 
oh, after it happened, like, you're not very good at kissing or you're not into me. It's like, no, dude, you just are really gross at it. <laughs> well, that's part of what's also being poked at fun at the whole time is that uh, that heterosexuality may not be very pleasurable for women. Uh, certainly yeah, not okay. for teenage girls anyway, right? I'm not trying to you know, say that broadly, but right, lots of like, I think back to my boyfriend in high school, like I wasn't into him, but also he was objectively bad at kissing. And so these two <laughs> things can both be true and it can certainly make it confusing. Well, and so another place this comes in in the movie is at the end, there's these like, they're toward the end. Part of the program is these simulated sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And they're in these like nude colored body socks and they're simulating sex between the boys and the girls. And with uh, fig leaves over. With fig leaves and flowers in strategic places. <clears throat> yep. And again, like the Joel asks, you know, Miss Brown, like what about foreplay? And foreplay is for sissies. <laughs> right? A real man just. And. So like it's it's not implied. It's very explicit yeah. that sex is in a heterosexual relationship is not for women. And so we see this come up a few times. Although to be fair, there is research that shows what's called an orgasm gap between mm -hmm. straight women or women having sex with men and women having sex with women. Mm -hmm. um, so there is some research to back this up. Now lean in and kiss her. Nice, Rob. Now feel how soft and vulnerable she is. Isn't it wonderful? Now Grim, let him take the lead. Little tongue, he loves you. He wants to be with you the way God intended. To be inside you. His love muscle thrusting. <sighs> Very good. Okay, who's next? Okay, now remember that sex is fun. We're making love. There's nothing dirty about it. Sex is beautiful when it's between a man and a woman. Mom. Okay, now from this position, the woman will spread her legs opening like a flower. That's wonderful, Graham. Now at this point, the man will insert himself into the woman. Yes, that's, yes, rock, that's it. Uh, Mrs. Brown. What is it, Joe? What about foreplay? Well, foreplay is for sissies. Real men go in, unload, and pull out. Mom. Yeah, and so what does um, Megan do at the end with her Christianity? They don't really show her reconciling that in any way. She doesn't take her cross off at any point. She doesn't throw it out, but it doesn't it, that that doesn't ever seem to like be part of. They make they make the story more about figuring out with the parents but they don't come back and address that again, which I think was interesting. Maybe if they'd had a longer movie, they could have done that. <laughs> yeah. I think that was definitely a missed opportunity because it's so, um, it's so salient in the beginning of the movie. And then it sort of wanes 
as the movie goes on because the narrative does shift, right? It it shifts away from Megan as an individual to um Megan and Graham as as a new thing. Um and the consequences of that. So before we move on to the consequences of that, the end of the film, I do want to talk about the program at this camp. Uh, as I said earlier, it, it they I'm going to bet with the way they characterized um, Kathy Moriarty's character. Excellent. Um, as I said, in the t- at the top of the show. Excellent casting on this. If you watched Casper, the the friendly ghost. Uh, (laughs) uh, But they um, go to great lengths to, at least in my opinion, to make uh, Mary Brown a sort of grifter uh, in a sense with this therapy. Like what 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 really does she have underneath as the foundational component of this other than just like making stuff up to make money. Um, I don't because, know if I'm with you on that. Okay. Well, that's, I don't know. I, I will, uh, but hang on. So hang up on that. Hang on that one um, okay. for a sec. Um, so she creates a five step program. And as I said a few minutes ago, this is essentially a play on the 12 step program, um, which, which, which is problematic. The, way, so they, the, the, the author, I mean, not the author, the director, her mom ran a 12 step program. So it was okay. directly yes. based on that. She grew up around that and was like, oh, my gosh, I need to make this into my movie, which makes a lot of sense because it is also a problematic um, uh, solution to um addiction in general and also has tinges tinges of um religion underneath right so okay we'll go through the five step fr- program but molly go ahead you had i don't know you you were saying you don't agree with my uh, read on mary brown's characterization i agree that she's absurd and she's set right. up to be ridiculous and unlikable that's clear i don't know if i would classify her as a grifter though because my my understanding my schema for grifter is no true belief right Mm -hmm. just trying to get the money and i'm sure that she gets a lot of money for like people pay a lot of money for these types of camps um but she definitely doesn't have any training. She's not a therapist. She doesn't have right. any expertise. But there isn't really anything that makes me think that she doesn't desperately believe everything that she's doing. Okay, I can see that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with that part. I think yeah, she's in it. It it seemed like to me that that's what it was. But I see your point. I do see your point. So the five steps Will, what are the five steps? Step one. It comes across the screen in very campy letters. Right. Uh, very, very 80s, 90s letters. And so step one is admitting you're a homosexual. And so they all do that. In one then group setting, to... by the way. <laughs> Not yep. a lot of therapy going on. No. No. 
So then step two is finding your root, which is the the cause of their homosexuality. They have to dig back, dig deep, and figure out what you know caused this. Where was that tipping point, that turning point in their life that led them to uh, be, be homosexual? Down this path. Okay, then. Who's left to report out their root? Andre? Shit, Miss Mary, I ain't the only one who don't got no root. Andre, we don't use profanity or double negatives here at True Directions. Okay, who's next? Megan. Well, I've really been thinking, but I just can't think of anything. I think our little prom queen is too afraid to disclose. Oh, really? What's your root, Graham? We're working on your issue here, not mine. You're deflecting. Actually, I think it might be a great idea for Megan to be reminded of your root, Graham. My mother got married in pants. All right, let's see. Uh, Dolph. Too many locker room showers in the varsity team. Hillary. Um, all-girl boarding school. Sinead. I was born in France. Clayton. My mom let me play in her pumps. I like balls. Why, thank you for that, Jim. Joe? Traumatic breasts. So, yeah. Step three is family therapy. Uh, so the families become a bit involved. Uh, mm -hmm. step very four briefly is, again. Very briefly. Again, it's a short movie. <laughs> step, <laughs> step four is de demystifying the opposite sex. Uh, and the last step is simulated sexual lifestyle, which is what Molly was talking about with the body socks and the, and the fig <laughs> yes. leaves and the, the blossom. Uh, it's all strategically placed. Right. And 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 I like how you uh, also included the detail that these do scrawl across the screen because they're almost like chapters in the movie. Um, so chapters of this uh, multi-week camp. So let's let's tackle each of these, right? So the first one, admitting you're a homosexual. Um, what is, what what is about this? What what can we say about this? So Megan was the only one that that was presumably hard for. We she arrives at camp a day late, so we haven't seen the other characters do this. But uh, they they tell us that this was not hard for them. They they knew this that that was an easy step, but. As we said, Megan has a hard time realizing that she needs to be convinced it all kind of comes crashing down on her when they tell her that other people don't have these thoughts and they are unnatural. And she thought that that was this normal. And so now she mm -hmm. has this realization and tears up and drools all over and says, I'm a homosexual. And it's all very dramatic and everyone is gathered around. So they, it's a very well uh, framed scene. Exactly. Um, it, and, and well shot, um, because the camera kind of is in the middle and sort of pans around and they inner, insert, uh, all of the, the images that we see as the audience, even prior to this, it's a really well done scene. All right. Finding your root causes of homosexuality. Right. So just going back to the age old, you know, trope or the uh, idea that there must be some reason right if there's if it's something wrong then there must be a a cause of that wrongness and so if we can identify that then that is a 
way that we can help, right, then heal that wound and fix this uh, oddity. So they all have to dig down and find <laughs> this root. And right, again, it's hilarious in the movie, this idea of having to find a, a reason for that and the particular reasons they come up with. Um, are, can, are, are problematic, but the way that they're all stated is absurd and hilarious. I mean, first of all, these are still like the common talking points. Like what, yes. what is it that turns someone gay? Whose fault is this? They're really common tropes. Um, but also what was just infuriating to me, and this is the stats prof in me, is that like correlation is not causation, right? Like there are plenty of girls who go to all girls schools and plenty of boys who are on boys swim teams and change in a locker room and are not gay. And plenty right. of people who are French. <laughs> and, right. The <laughs> whole, of many of the inhabitants of France. Right. And that's why it's just so absurd because they're sitting around and they're having this serious finding your root discussion. And then they shoot, you know, the camera turns on its little lazy Susan to Sinead. And she says, I was born in France. <laughs> and then they just accept that mm-hmm. as a legitimate root. <laughs> right. Because then, you know, claps. and that. Uh, plays a lot of plays a lot of like really the film history stuff because you know all the avant-garde film and and portrayals of of people have come from France. It's it's good stuff. And did the domineering mother one is portrayed in the movie between um, Mary Brown and her son Rock. He's the heartthrob who dances and wears very short jean shorts and holds garden tools suggestively. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. she is constantly berating him and belittling him. And, you know, you can't even sip a drink right. Chug it. Right. And so, like, that is the the personification of this domineering mother as causing this so um, supposed defect in the child. And that's and that's the route that Megan ultimately identifies for herself is that there was a nine month period where her father was unemployed and her mom had to be the breadwinner. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, therefore was the mom being the dad. And that has to be the reason. Right. But you can see, really, she's just looking for anything non normative in her life to blame that on. And that's the thing that they look for and they approve of. Yes, and that gets the yeah that gets the seal of approval from everyone not not just the other campers but also uh, the camp leader. Okay, third one. Let's the brief family therapy session that was there. Uh, So I want to specifically ask the question that we we talked about earlier, which was. Um, the roles thing. So this one is best summed up in that uh, in that scene. Family therapy mostly focuses on Graham's parents. They're mostly the center of <clears throat> that exchange. So all the parents are there. We hear a little bit of snippets of talk from the different ones, the different kids talking about their roots. But then uh, pretty quickly, Graham's it's Graham's dad and her stepmom, who's much younger, uh, and they are clearly very rich uh, white people who have a house in Switzerland and send her to boarding school. But he very quickly is like, I can't be in a room with a bunch of and then uses the F word to refer to the gay men. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and gets really uncomfortable and says, I hope you're getting more out of this program. If you don't, you're not getting the trust fund, no college, no car, like don't come home. And he storms out. Uh, and so that's really, that's kind of the first time you see that maybe Graham is not so, uh, you know, she has a very calm, cool, collected surface. And you kind of see that falter for a second. Yeah, she, she loses a bit of her edginess. You're like, oh, yes, this is why you have that uh, facade that you put on because you need to, because you need to be strong like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a f- fairly raw moment. Yeah. Well, I think that this is where, again, like it's all very silly. And this is where it gets really sad for me for a minute mm-hmm. um, is when Megan's parents are there. Um, and. You know, this whole time, their actions, their intervention, their praying for her, their sending her to this camp has been um, shown as being out of love and out of concern for her. And they really believe that they're doing this out of love and out of concern for her, um, even if we could you know, find issue with their methods. Um, and I think that she believes that they want what's best for her. Um, and so she really is trying to work the program. But it's at this point where they come and they say if you don't make this work, you're not welcome home anymore. And I think that this is the first time she realizes that like it's change or the highway um, and that she wouldn't be accepted. So the fourth step is demystifying the opposite sex. You know, what is it about all of these things? What? What? Opposite sex? Who are these people? From a different planet. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Oh. Thanks, Molly. Yeah. All right. Next topic. <laughs> so, clears that up for you. Exactly. So what do we learn about the opposite sex in this movie? So they do like a, they, they're all in a room and they get a like basically an old school projector presentation of this is what you should do when you're on a date and look how they're standing and he's touching her arm and, but they're like totally ridiculous. Like it almost looks like someone is cut out of a magazine, like a head and put it on the person and like made these really janky things. And that's what they're doing. And they also have some flashcards. They practice with things and they practice uh, going on, you know, little dates and things. But then this is also just where it also gets really sweet and like the rom-com part is that while right. they're watching this film clip teach, you know, this is what you do on a date. You see, you know, Graham finally like softly touch Megan's arm for the first time and she doesn't pull away. And then the really awesome soundtrack kicks in and it's just mm-hmm. like where the sweetness really starts to build. Yes, it, it is a, a very um, and, and, and well-deserved sweet scene, right? Like it's not, trying to be saccharine or anything like that. It's like a, a, a deserved sweet scene because we had just learned that um, Graham isn't as uh, aloof as she makes out to be, right? There are underlying things. And um, Megan has had to deal with, you know, the whole thing with her parents and possibly being uh, unacceptable and unaccepted. So it is a it is really well earned scene. Um, now, the fifth step, because this changes everything. Don't we know? All you have to do 
to change your orientation is to just have sex with the, the opposite sex, right? That's that's all you have just to do. Just do it. Just do it. It's Nike right there. Because <laughs> that that fix sex fixes everything, right? <laughs> we have no issues when people have sex in our society, <laughs> right? It's just no. it happens and everybody's like, this was good. There's a solid firm handshake and then you part ways. Right? This, am I doing sex right? Yeah. That's it. I mean, and that's, that's basically how they show it. I mean, Rock is essentially doing push-ups on top of... <laughs> yes, I uh, noticed that. Completely in the wrong place. Right, and, <laughs> but, and, and, and Mary is clapping and saying, wonderful job, Rock. <laughs> and so it's just even more absurd, because not only are they doing this completely ridiculous, uncomfortable thing, but his mother is watching him. Yes. And celebrating. And celebrating and, and instructing him on how to pretend to... <laughs> penetrate someone's flower <laughs> it's yes <laughs> that's why dear listener if you haven't seen this movie go watch it now it's on it's on imdb tv for free at least in the united states i don't know how um you both watched it in canada we own it oh you own it wonderful <laughs> <laughs> okay so we've done through we've gone through the five steps. I think it's pretty clear that um you can't spoiler, really yeah. you can't really achieve <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh you can't really achieve uh the objective, the Mary Brown and the other families' objectives here of um becoming ex-gay i'm sorry mike is uh rupaul's character is you're you're not fooling anyone no so i think really the one other kind of big thing we haven't touched on yet too much is the is the xx gays who mm, yes. live nearby go for it so there's there's larry and lloyd morgan mm -hmm. gordon and they also are their own stereotypes, uh, very lovingly done. But one is a very large gay man and one is a very small gay man. And they both wear sort of gray camo with a rainbow flag on it. They're kind of militaristic almost ish, but they're trying to provide a another pers perspective, as they say, for the kids at, um, at uh, True Directions. And so they paper airplane in some you know flyers so that they know to sneak out on a certain night and they can uh go with them to a bar called the cocksucker uh to sort of learn what it's like to be gay and so they are the sort of gay elders ushering the new generation in and trying to provide that for them yes and i i love how um, at the end of or toward the end of the movie that they are brought back as a place where because they're so near to the true directions lot that they're a place where people who quote unquote fail this program get kicked out of this program um, have a place to go if their family's not going to accept them. And that's an important thing to put in a movie like this, right? Because not only are we making fun of, you know, this person, this person, this whole process kind of thing, but also to really ground the point that 
even if you're going through this, you are not alone. And there is somebody out there that is willing to help you. Well, and especially in marginalized communities, this idea of a chosen family Mm -hmm. is really important. And they have built, you know, this home and they take in these kids who have failed the camp and they aren't welcome at home anymore and, you know, help them get on their feet. And so this idea, like Will said, of the, you know, gay elders taking them under their wing, Mm -hmm. not just showing them the nightlife, but like helping take care of them and modeling a really healthy, good relationship. There's a great like uh, scene at home where they start to have a fight and one of them says very clearly how that made them feel. And then the other one acknowledges that and validates it. And then they make up like it's a very healthy, lovely relationship. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's also a really nice thing to see. But of course, because it's satire, they also do it over the top. So you laugh because it's also really cheesy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Healthy, but cheesy. Right. Well, another thing I would say about this, this bar. um, Oh, yeah. Is that this is the first place that these kids have to go where they can really be like authentic and queer Mm -hmm. and together and out in public. Right. Mm -hmm. So like they kind of, you know, they have their friendships at this camp, but they can, they can't really be themselves. They can't really be their whole selves. And so this is the first like gay space that they have. And I mean, that's a a pretty accurate way, uh, a pretty accurate uh, depiction of queer spaces in our society um Mm -hmm. even still that like gay bars are where you go when you are learning what it's like to be a member of the gay community and importantly they're often gay bars lesbian bars are not as common Um, right the bar is called the cocksucker it's right it's clearly catering to one clientele but that's that is the only space and in fact when they go back there a second time or something they're like well where else would we go Mm-hmm. Right. There's nowhere else to go be gay. And so there's so much that centers around drinking and that particular way of being in the world and being social that doesn't fit everybody. And so that's part of what Megan's struggling with is she's like, well, I like Graham, but I also don't really drink and I don't really want to be here and I don't like this. So maybe this like that, being gay doesn't feel right either if this is being gay. And I think a lot of people have that uh, trying to reconcile that as well. Yeah. Um, also weird uh, that we're talking about wait, teenagers going to a bar, right? In 1999. And that being the only place where they can be their authentic selves and they really aren't, like legally aren't allowed to be there. I don't they drink. Yeah, fake IDs distributed. They the did have the elders. fake IDs. Yes. I, 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 yeah, I do or do remember that. But it's still kind of awkward. And you kind of, you almost... At least for me as a teenager who didn't drink, um, you you sort of relate to that. Like, it's sort of unfortunate that this is really the only place I can be to be myself. But I'm also not fully invested in this location because there are things that I don't like here. So it's not as comforting to, to others. I did want to make a point, and this just occurred to me, and maybe this was intentional or not. but. Um, because will you mention that um they Larry and Lloyd uh, are a sort of one-dimensional stereotypical <clears throat> elder gay couple but i'm wondering if if it was also important that they were a a gay couple instead of a lesbian couple doing this 
I think maybe be, I mean, often that's the stereotype that who would adopt that the, the kids in the community might be the women, but I don't know that it was that it's particularly atypical because there's also a lot of chosen community centered around gay men too. So I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. It occurred to me because th maybe they didn't want to have a lesbian couple take away from the two main characters as a yeah. as another lesbian couple. So really well, focus the lesbian couple on Megan and Graham. Well, they also nicely contrast Mary, right? Mary is this really harsh, mm -hmm. hyper feminine woman, and they are these two warm, loving, caring, supportive gay men. And I think that that makes that and they will said, you know, they wear gray camo and she wears a pink power suit. Right. And so like it really just makes them the total total opposite okay i can see that too that makes a lot of sense as well all right so one we have time for one more segment and i think this fits with my uh use of films in class which is to take the portrayal and apply it to films in general um and and that's the idea of tropes so there are a lot of movie tropes in these kinds of movies, right? But this one doesn't play into those tropes. So pretty intentionally turns them on their head. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that. So I think the first and the most like obvious one, especially when it came out, was that it has a happy ending. They get together. They neither of them is dead at the end, which like seems funny to say but that is that is not a given so many of the portrayals that are available and especially that were available where sort of end with someone being a victim of a hate crime or dying tragically for some other reason and then yeah we're left with that and so it has a name right it's the barrier gaze trope where yeah. gay characters cannot have happy endings most notably in the 90s philadelphia <laughs> Well, and we saw it in Buffy, right, mm -hmm. with um, a tragic death. We saw it in a more recent show. I forget the name of the show, but there was this lesbian couple who they had built up for over a season and then they finally got together and one of them died, right? Like that this is a very mm -hmm. common mm -hmm. path um, right. that they can't have their happy ending. And so I think it was really, really meaningful um, to have her get right. her girl and they ride off. In the back of the truck into the sunset. Yeah, because they ran out of film. <laughs> well, and they literally have like this the sort of red sunset and the clouds painted on that back of the truck. So they it, it seems very intentional that yeah. driving away with that painted there. Yeah, so we are going to make this as literal as possible, <laughs> which is which is I mean fits with the entire entire movie, right? It like yeah. no space or time is wasted in this movie. We can, nothing is painted with a light touch. <laughs> right. What other tropes does this um, movie avoid uh, purposefully? Well, so one of them is that the relationship between Megan and Graham is not subtext, 
they're not just friends who maybe are, maybe aren't, and their touches linger just a little too long, that they're very clearly romantically interested in each other. And there's conflict, and then there's a grand gesture, but like they are the romantic center of the story. And they don't hide that under a supposedly platonic friendship. Right. Right. Like the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, for example, which I was so upset when I finally read the book and was like, why was this not in the movie? Right. You, you only know that they are lesbians if you know that they are lesbians. And uh, and so this is not that, right? It's, it's not hidden. Right. What else? It's also, it's also not... Uh, got the psycho lesbian trope where mm -hmm. you know, this this woman is crazy and in fact maybe even her gayness is what's driving her mad and causing her to act wild in some way I, we watch criminal minds and they have an episode where that's the case right she's so in love with her friend that now she has to right kill this guy and do all this stuff right because her les she's like repressed that and now it's leaking out right and so that's another trope that Mm -hmm. comes up uh surprisingly i think she often. has other problems yeah yeah, yeah. i think another one that i really <laughs> like is in the framing and the the actual visuals of their relationship that megan and graham and their romance and their physical relationship is the is the point yeah but it's not they're not objectified and it's not filmed for a male gaze, right? So mm -hmm. if you're familiar with, you know, this idea of the gaze and G-A-Z-E, not G-A-Y-S, um, and who <laughs> someone is well being done. seen by, um, like, this is often seen in, you know, porn analysis, right? Yeah. That pornography made for and by men focuses on genitals <laughs> mm -hmm. whereas pornography that's for and by women tends to be not only more narrative driven but also uh, a softer lens and a focus on the hands and the lips and the face um, not the bodies overall and so like it really is a soft lovely romantic and like they kiss and they touch and it's not um, sensationalized or objectified in any way and I think that's really lovely yeah I do agree as well um and there really aren't very many visuals uh in that way for in the other part of the parts of the movie either um there are quick shots of the shots of the cheerleaders there are quick shots of cheerleaders breasts for a real quick like half a second and um uh, twirling you know in seeing the underskirt of them from the perspective of Megan's mind. Those are supposed to be for her. And then there's one more uh, trope that you mentioned. Which one was that? Just that this is not just a coming out story. A lot of uh, films, and again, not that that's not a great thing. I do a lot of my research on coming out. It is an important part of uh, experience, something we do over and over again. But it's not right. just about that right the fact that's the very first step is that they admit that they're a homosexual and the whole movie takes place after that it's not as if that's the final point in their story and once they've done that it's over uh all of the conflict pretty much occurs after that point and so uh that's a key part of it and also just that non-queer characters are are not the point they are this 
the the main characters here rather than the side characters. Right. Uh, I I think you make a a good point about um, that the the story happens after the whole coming out thing. Even the conflict isn't about the coming out. Right. It's it's about violation of camp rules for well, it's, a good reason. Right. It's it's a rom com. Right? Yes. It's a satire and it's social commentary, but it's a rom com. They're teenagers and they have crushes and they're just trying to figure out who they are. Right. Like it is yeah. in some ways a very normal story. and. I also think that that makes it special. Yeah, because it it doesn't have to be something completely different from uh, hetero movies it, no, of, she, of similar veins. And the director said she wanted to make a gay clueless. So it wasn't like she was necessarily trying to be that different. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure she achieved gay clueless, but uh, <laughs> some of the color scheme might have been inspired. <laughs> So one last thing I wanted to give you guys a chance to anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to to mention on the show before we we end our little conversation. Yeah. So I guess the thing we want to end on is the end of the movie. I mean, besides they have a graduation, that's all very fake and plastic. Uh, their clothes literally look like plastic, so you can really just see one more time how much of a charade this hall is. Um, but then, right, the, the the credits roll. They've they've gone off into the sunset, the credits roll, but then you get sort of one of those cut scenes. I don't know what they call it. You're the film expert, but they show one last... The epilogue. Yeah, like an epilogue scene, and it shows Megan's parents at P flag, the parents and friends of gay and of gays and lesbians, and her dad says, "Hi, I'm Peter, and my daughter is a homosexual." And you see her mom in the audience is very embarrassed. She's all got like a like a scarf over her head, but they're there, and I think that's such an important thing. Again, like not only are we not burying our gays, but we're giving our heterosexual characters some room for growth and changing their minds, and that even if your parents aren't on board right away. Maybe they'll come around. And I think that that was a pretty cool ending and was definitely uh, special to me when I was first coming out at various times. Yes. And I will uh, I just quickly add to that, um, that I think it's really wonderful that it's her dad that jumps up and sa- says that because of how they um, put the two of them together each time. She holds his hand during grace. He gives her, you know, a bunch of kisses and and just awesome words when they visit at camp. And um, he's really not the one that says you're not going to be welcome if you're going to be like this. It's more her mom. Um, So I think it's uh, it's a nice touch at the end that it's her dad and he's like ready to sort of be in this role. Be her cheerleader. Yeah. That's that's a good way to put it, since that's what she was. I want to thank doctors Molly Metz and Will Ryan. That is doctors because they are both. I don't know if I've been saying that well enough, but I just want to make it cl- very clear that these two people are both doctors <clears throat> to, to, for joining me today 
to discuss a an important movie, I think, for exploration of topics that aren't generally well uh, portrayed in other movies, but also satire, which is always a great thing because without, I, I'm saying this now, without satire, but I'm, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, so now here is the moment that you all get to plug whatever's going on in your worlds. So who would like to go first? I mean, honestly, I think the most important thing we already covered at the beginning, which is follow our dog on Instagram. Okay. Yeah, that works. Dr. Gordy. Um, I also have joined the Twitter since the pandemic mm-hmm. started and have found an incredible social and academic community there. So you can find me at Mets psych, but mm-hmm. Will's an old and he doesn't have Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> His takes are just for us. <laughs> exactly. But see, that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? He sh- saves his takes, not for the Twitter pleb, but for the <laughs> real, but for the real people. So I I definitely appreciate that. Will, do you have anything that you wanted to uh, plug that's going on? No. Nothing <laughs> interesting. And yeah, it's uh I don't have any any social media to follow me on particularly, so sorry. Where can people find more uh, more about the work that you have done? About the work I've done that you can find on I have to remember my I will s ryan.com will s ryan yeah i see i i got him folks he was gonna say no but i knew i have a website i won't respond to you on it you can email me i guess (laughs) (laughs) i mean so i do want to add one more thing it's not a personal plug but um given the the topic of the movie and the topic of our discussion um the anti-trans and anti-gay legislation um in the u.s is um it's a mess it's a mess um laws are being passed um i believe it was just yesterday that the don't say gay bill was signed which of course has more consequences for trans youth um although we're not really talking about that there's bills about youth participating in sports um that if you have any ounce of um energy any ounce of spoons left um find out what legislation is on the dockets in your state call people write people donate some money um there are real big threats to trans rights and gay rights in i mean many countries um and just because this movie was 23 years ago um, doesn't mean that it's history. So, well said, Molly. Um, and I will, if you have any uh, links for me, I'll I'll link that with the sto- uh, with the thing too. So, with the show. So, um, send those to me, please. Well, it was really, really fun to see you both and talk to you, to you too. at the same time. Um, so I will see you both soon until the next episode. Thanks for listening.